Never heard that. All right. And I'm going to talk to you about Abraham's toughest test. Everything he went through is a reflection of New Testament truth. can be applied to you and me. The Bible says all the Old Testament events that happen, happen for our learning, that we would glean from them and be enhanced in our own walk. So we all have a walk of faith. Those of us here today who are believers in Christ, who have uh, yielded and submitted to him, we have a walk of faith, just like Abraham. So I'm going to talk to you about his greatest test today and see how it applies to us. Father, thank you for your word. And let's, let, let's read these verses. Hebrews eleven seventeen. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Father, thank you for your word today. Can you just breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, speak to my heart. And let's pray, increase my faith. Let's pray it again. Increase my faith. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Lord, I pray that our faith is sharpened today and enhanced. And Lord, I thank you for leading us successfully down that narrow road that leads to life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them your faith is going to be stronger when you leave today. Wasn't all those children beautiful? And that was a lot of children, a lot of family. All the in-laws are in for Thanksgiving and uh, so many are on the road. Our prayers are with them. But now, aside from these passages in Hebrews, that Hebrews 11 is God's hall of faith. That's what it's called, God's hall of faith. And it's all about the various uh, luminaries of the Bible who walk by faith and what they achieved, what they obtained, things they went through. Now, there is another account of all of this, and of course, it's in Genesis 22. Genesis 22 gives us the narrative, the, the laid-out drama of Abraham being visited by God to offer up his only son. Hebrews 11 tells us a couple of things that Genesis 22 does not. So I'm going to be going back and forth, Genesis 22, Hebrews 11, throughout this message. And let me, just, um, let me just share how all this happened. Here is Abraham. God appeared to him in Ur of the Chaldees. And God said to him, I want you to leave this place. Then when Abraham, then Abram, left with his father-in-law, or rather his father and his nephew Lot, and they traveled, and... The Bible says that they stopped in Haran, and I talked about Haran last week. It's a great Sunday we had last Sunday. It was a great day. Now, they stopped off in Haran, and thinking they were only going to make a pit stop, they ended up staying there for years. And in doing so, Abram missed God. He missed God. But he got back on track, went to the promised land. And we all know the miracle that when he was 100 and Sarah was 90, they conceived and, and she bore a son. 
And they named him Isaac, which means laughter, because after all, you're going to laugh or be in shock over a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman having a child. So they had laughter. But now we have an event. Here they are sojourning in the promised land. And God appears to Abraham now again and says something to him that blows his mind. He can't wrap his mind around this. God said, I want you to take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom I know you love. I want you to take him, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall show you. Say what? Wait a minute, God. You're telling me to take my only son who I waited for for 25 years? who is the supreme testimony of our faith walk with God and sacrifice him? Are you kidding me? What is this about? When this came to Abraham, this visit from God, he was about a 120-year-old man. He got a testimony uh, of, of a man who walked with God and, who, and somebody that had the Midas touch. It says in Genesis 22 that at that time when God spoke this to him, King Abimelech, a pagan king spoke to Abraham saying, God is with you in all that you do. We have watched you, Abraham. And we know that whatever you touch turns to gold. We know that you are blessed. We know that God is favoring you. So he had this testimony that here was a man that God was with. Yet God comes to him and says, I want you to sacrifice your son. Now, the Bible tells us why God did this. It said he wanted to test Abraham. Because what men think of us, like Abimelech or other worldly people, what they think of us doesn't matter near as much as what God thinks of us. See, I care a whole lot more about the smile of God than I do the smile of men. I really do. Because the smile of men is there one day and gone the next. Uh, the favor of men is as fickle as the weather. They like you one day, don't like you the next. You cannot put all of your eggs in the basket of what people think about you. But Abraham cared about the smile of God. And God wanted to see where he was really at in his commitment to him the man of faith, the father of our faith. I want to see where you're really at, Abraham. I want to see how deep your faith goes. I want to see if you will prefer me over the darling of your heart, over the dearest thing in your life. I want to see if you'll choose me. So it says he, he tested him. And it was a very costly thing indeed that God asked him for on that fateful night. That unexpected word from the Lord, I'm telling you, I know it sent Shock waves through his heart. Now, I'm going to clarify for you what God was asking him for. And I'm going to forewarn you, it's a little bit graphic. But here it is. He wanted Abraham to travel with his son, Isaac, who was still a teenager. He was around 16 to 18 years old. I want you to go on a three-day journey. It was three days and nights from where God spoke to him to Moriah the mountain of Moriah. And I want you to build there, Abraham, an altar of stones on one of those mountains. And then I want you to make a platform of wood on top of the stones. Then Abraham, I want you to lie Isaac down on that wood. 
Then I want you to take a knife. Now, this is what a sacrifice was in the Old Testament. I'm just going to tell you. Then Abraham was to take a knife, slit Isaac's throat in the same way that a sacrificial lamb was slain. That's all Abraham knew. Finally, he would light the wood and burn his son's body as an offering to God. Everybody say heavy. Heavy. Uh, Say it like you really mean it. That's heavy stuff. That's heavy stuff. Now, now, now I want you to keep in mind, like I've already mentioned, they, they had waited 25 years for this boy. This boy was the crowning achievement of their walk of faith. This was the greatest thing they'd ever seen in their walk of faith. And now God is saying, take him and sacrifice him on this mountain. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Abraham could have gotten up the next day and totally ignored what God had told him to do. He could have ignored this stunning interaction that he had with Jehovah God. He could have refused to do it and nobody would have known. Nobody around him would have known that he was disobeying God. Nobody would have known. You know why? Because God spoke only to him in the quiet of his heart. And and this is precisely how God was going to find out whether Abraham really feared him or not. Because no one knew. If I disobey God, nobody knows. If I walk away from this call, nobody knows. Just me and God. This is between him and Jehovah. Now, church, let me tell you that this is one of the ways that God tests us as well. He speaks to us secretly in our heart. Right now, if you're a believer in Christ, the Holy Ghost lives inside of you and the Holy Ghost speaks to us, nudges us, moves on us, says things to us, quickens things to us. You can be driving down the road and all of a sudden know that God has told you to do something. It's a nudge. Unmistakable. It's that still, small voice. And and one of the reasons that you have that private place, that private place called your soul, called your thought life, is not only so that God can fellowship with you, because he does fellowship with us there. Paul said the holy, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. So we fellowship with him there, but also there are times God will speak to us, nudge us to do something, to take some action, and no one knows but you and God. No one knows. When I started the ministry, years and years ago, still as a teenager, I started preaching when I was 18. So I I was moving off into the ministry, just getting my feet wet in it, just beginning to stick my toes in the water of ministry and and get acquainted with it and kind of learn the ropes. And God spoke to my heart one day and he said, Jeff, I want you to go to your father and I want you to make things right with him. Well, see, I knew that God knew immediately me and my dad had been separated, estranged for years because I was angry at him because he'd walked out on us. And I was angry at him because I'd listen to my mother cry herself asleep at night. And I got angry at him. And it turned into a root of bitterness. And so here I am, and I'm starting off in the ministry. And all of a sudden, in the quiet of my heart, I knew that God was saying to me, I want you to go to your dad and make it right with him. And I rebuked it, bound it, loosed it, 
ignored it, but it kept coming back and kept coming. I wish I could, could say that I had obeyed God as quickly as Abraham obeyed God. I didn't. I sat on it for weeks, probably months. But I knew that somehow that, that things were being held back, that I wasn't getting the full, the full blessing of God until I did what he told me to do. And nobody around me knew that God had told me this. No one. So one day I swallowed hard and said, okay. And I called my dad and said, I'm going to come over. Can we talk? And I sat down with my dad who was not a believer. I sat down with my dad on the couch and I looked at him and I said, dad, listen, I need you to forgive me for all the ways I hurt you. And he said, I don't need you to forgive you. Get off. We're okay. We're okay. We're okay. You know, masculine. And I said, no, God, no, we're not okay. I need to hear you tell me that you forgive me and, and, and I, I forgive you, Dad. We, we can't be this way. And so I sat down. It took about 30 minutes, but we did it. My dad was not a believer. Like I said, he didn't understand this forgiveness thing, but he did it and he said it. And when I walked away, suddenly I saw doors begin to open and I had some powerful experiences with the Holy Spirit of God and my calling just launched. You see, God was testing me to see whether or not I would obey him. So I want to take into account now the three things that I see in Abraham's life. In this particular uh, passage of scripture we read in Hebrews 11. Now say them with me. Abraham's obedience, Abraham's trust, and Abraham's faith. Now these three things are in this, these short verses in Hebrews and I'm going to take them one at a time because they all apply to you and me. First, let's, let's talk about Abraham's obedience. The Bible says in Hebrews 11:17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested with this word that came into his heart, offered up Isaac. That word offered up, might as well say, obeyed. He immediately obeyed God. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. On hearing God's command in the quiet of his heart, he immediately, he stepped out. The Bible says Abraham rose early that next morning. He didn't even sleep late. He didn't get up with a cup of coffee and try to figure out whether or not he was going to do this. He got up immediately. Early the next morning, saddled up his donkey loaded up enough goods for a three-day journey, took two young men and Isaac, his only begotten son, and headed for the mountains. Do you know what he went so far to do? He went so far as to be the one who split the wood that would be used to sacrifice him. I don't know about you. I'm a dad. I got two children. And I cannot comprehend this. I was going to have to give one of them up. But to pick up the axe and split the wood that I know I'm going to lay my son down on top of. See, this man is moving in something we don't understand, but we're going to understand it better by the end of the day. He's moving in something powerful here. He got up. We've all heard how a decision can put you between a rock and a hard place. See, Abraham was between a rock and a heart place. Rock in a heart place. The rock was God's will. And it always is. The rock was God's will, his word, his revealed will. 
Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him up there. That was the rock. Now, the heart place was those three words, whom you love. I want you to take your son, your only son, who I know, Abraham, I know where your heart is. I know you love him. God acknowledged the love Abraham had for his son. Take your only son whom you love. That was the heart place. See, God is asking him for the thing nearest and dearest to his heart. God wanted to know, will you choose me over the nearest and dearest thing to your heart? It can be a person. It can be a place. It can be a thing. But I want to tell you that invariably in our walk with the Lord, there's going to be times we are required to choose between the rock and the heart place. The will of God over the attachments of our heart. And in a contest between the two, Abraham let it be known real quickly what he was going to side with. He said, well, I pick God because I know that my God, if I obey him, somehow it's all going to work out. And so I'm just going to obey him. I'm not going to pick anything on this earth above God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Put his kingdom first and his kingdom is the king of the kingdom. Put the king of the kingdom first and his righteousness and all these other things will take care of themselves. Matthew 6, 33. So the first thing we learn from Abraham in a contest between emotions and obedience to God, we choose God and choose him immediately. The longer you wait, the longer you're going to wait. Some of you need to obey God in something here today. There's something in your life that you should have obeyed God weeks ago. You better go on and do it because the longer you wait, the longer you're going to wait. Do it now. So everybody say with me, obedience and choosing... God over my earthly attachments. Now that's lordship, church. That's lordship. Now the next thing that stands out to me in this story is Abraham's amazing, unbelievable trust in God. Abraham could never have obeyed God to this level if he had not thoroughly and deeply trusted him. Let me give you a little principle. You will never obey whom you cannot trust. You will never obey whom you cannot trust. And you will never trust until you know a person's character. The more you know a person's character, the more you're going to trust. See, we have a little saying around here. I think we've already done it today. We say all the time, God is good, and all, all the time, and all the time, God is good. Now, that may sound like some silly little church saying, little formula that might be getting a little bit old. But see, there is, there is something in that little saying that is true. That is, what you believe about God matters. If you don't believe that God is good, you're never going to trust God. I, I was talking to a woman this week who said, I am, I, I'm having such a difficult time trusting God because of things that she had gone through. And I want to tell you, folks, we need to learn who God is. God is righteous. God is good. God is dependable. God is loyal. God is a covenant-keeping God. His word is true. 
You can stand on it. You can walk on it. You can live by it. You can die by it. You can stake your life on it. And the more that I learn about God, the more I trust him because he is totally trustworthy. Amen? See, there are people who don't come to him and don't give him their life because they're so afraid of what God is going to ask them to do. But God's not going to ask you to do anything that is not ultimately superior for your life over anything you could have chosen. God is a good God. He loved us so much that he did not withhold his only begotten son. See, see, I know that, I know that Abraham got to this incredible place of trust because what God spoke to him was a total contradiction to everything he told him before. Watch this. Without Isaac, none of the promises God had made to Abraham could ever come to pass. He said, I'm going to make you a great nation. That required Isaac. I'm going to make you a blessing to all the nations of the world. That required Isaac. I'm going to make your name great. That required Isaac. Out of your descendants, Abraham is going to come the Messiah, the Savior of the world. That required Isaac. So Abraham was faced with what seemed like an enormous contradiction. God promised to bring forth offspring through Isaac, but now God commanded him to offer Isaac up. What in the world is going on here? What's this about? The promise and the command seem to flatly contradict each other. Now here is where the shining, amazing, awesome extent of Abraham's trust is revealed. He didn't know how God was going to deal with this contradiction, but he just believed it was all going to pan out. He just trusted God. Well, I don't know how you're going to do this, Lord, but I trust you. People ask me, Pastor Jeff, are you a premillennialist or a postmillennialist or a mid-millennialist? That is, you believe the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation, at the end of the tribulation, or in the middle of the tribulation. I say, I'm a pan-millennialist. Well, what do you mean by that? I never heard of that. I believe it's all going to pan out. It's all going to pan out. I really do believe that's all going to pan out. If he doesn't come and get me before the tribulation, that's okay. I'll go through it. If he gets me at the end, if he gets me in the middle, I know, I don't know. Listen, I just know that he's going to come back because he said so. And so it's all going to pan out. It is. But see, Abraham just said, I don't understand how it's going to all work out, but I trust you. And the reason I trust you is I trust in the immutable, righteous, holy character of Almighty God. He's not going to burn you. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to lie to you. He's not going to sell you short. He's not going to walk away from you. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. You can totally trust in his character. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge his lordship and he will make smooth your path. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, the psalmist said, and he will bring it to pass. I love that preposition, it, because it's open-ended. Whatever it is the will of God, the purpose of God, what you're believing him for. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will bring your it to pass. 
So say with me, he obeyed the Lord and he trusted the character of the Lord. And then you got to talk about Abraham's faith because he's the father of our faith. And here is where it gets really beautiful and powerful. And I do feel like I'm stepping on holy ground when I move into this area because the more I look at this, the more I see that Abraham's faith at this point in this story has reached rarefied error. He is where no one on earth had ever gone before in his faith. He is absolutely in his own stratosphere. No one had touched the level of faith Abraham had right here. I'm going to tell you how he could walk so steadily towards that mountain. Three days and nights had to have been the longest journey of his life. But three days and nights headed towards that mountain with Isaac right here carrying the wood. Carrying the wood. And I can tell you how every night when they pitched tent, he went right to sleep and woke up early the next morning and kept on going. And he didn't flinch. He kept on going. I'm going to tell you how he did it. Hebrews 11:19 tells us what Genesis 22 does not. It says that Abraham was concluding that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead. Do you know how he walked resolutely towards that mountain? He said, I know what's going to happen. Here's where my faith is gone. And, and mark you, 2,000 years this was before Christ, and nobody had ever been raised from the dead. By Abraham's time, nobody. He was believing for an unprecedented, never-before-seen miracle from God. This is where his faith went. I know what's going to happen. I'm going to offer him. I'm going to lay him on that wood. I'm going to set it on fire. I'm going to offer him as a sacrifice to the Lord. And somehow, some way, the God whose character I trust is going to raise my son from the dead. That's where he was. Wow. He gave instruction to the servants when they got in sight of Moriah. I love this. He said, stay here with the donkey, boys. Now, there's two, two young men he brought with him and Isaac. He said, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy Isaac go over there. We're going to that mountain. That's where it's going to happen. And we are going to worship. And then we will come back to you. Abraham, you apparently haven't understood. God told you to offer up your boy. He's going to be dead. No, 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 no. His faith saw Beyond circumstances. He said, stay right here. I am confident of this one thing, that me and the boy are coming back. You're going to see us again. Not just I, but we. Because my God is a good God. He gave me this boy. He is not an Indian. He's not going to take it from me. And so, so somehow, some way, my God is going to do a miracle. This is what the Bible says. This is the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. This is what the Holy Spirit moved on the writer of Hebrews to say. He believed God. He was going to raise him from the dead. I'm going to put my own son to death, and then God's going to raise him from the dead. He didn't know how. He didn't know how this was going to happen. He just knew, trusted that God was going to do something. So guess what? Here with Abraham, we've got true Bible faith laid out in front of us. And here's what I want to bring home. This is true Bible faith. This is the faith that rests in you. See, 
you're believing things right now that in the natural mind are loony. You believe that one day a trumpet's going to blow. You believe that you are just going to zip right up into heaven, take off in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. How in the world do you know that? Because faith is the substance of things hoped for and is the evidence of things you do not yet see. Faith doesn't have to see it to believe it. Faith doesn't have to know how. Faith doesn't have to know how. Faith just has to believe, and that's all that faith is required to do, to believe what God says. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. I believe it. Faith believes and leaves the how in the hands of God. That's the way faith works. Faith is the confidence of things you're hoping for. It's the evidence, it's the earnest of things you do not yet see in time and space. You see, faith sees what isn't here yet. Can I talk to you about your faith for a moment? Faith sees what isn't here yet. Faith is the substance of things that you're hoping for, and it's the evidence of things that are not yet here, but you know are on the way. See, faith is not moved by the absence of what you are believing for. Faith knows that it's coming, and faith is all the evidence you need that what you're believing for is on the way. It just hasn't arrived yet, but in the meantime, faith rests in peace. We got this building. Uh, every elder that I had said, oh, Pastor Jeff, you got to be kidding. We can do better than this. Because this building was a mess. It didn't have any parking lot. It had this old metal shed over here. Homeless people were sleeping in this building. There were tractors and old cars. And this, what is now this sanctuary were parked right where some of you were sitting. And they looked at it and they looked at it in the natural. And I'm not running them down, not criticizing them. I don't blame them. But I brought them over here and said, here's our new building. And they said, Kathy cried. But see, see, God had dropped faith in my heart. So when I looked at this building, I did not see this building. I saw what it would be. The same way that God looks at you and I when we get saved. Aren't we a mess? Aren't there homeless things sleeping inside of us? Aren't there cobwebs and dirt and all kinds? But when God looks at us, he sees what we shall be, not what we are. He sees us through the eyes of faith. And he calls what is not. Yet, as though it is, because God knows what we're, thank God I'm not what I used to be, and I'm not what I'm going to be fully, but by faith I walk and live and function and operate. And I see things, there's, there's things in the oven of my faith cooking right now that I know God's going to bring to pass. I don't see it yet, but I don't need to. And I don't know how it's going to happen. See, faith, when I looked at this building, I didn't think, how are we going to do this? I just saw what it was going to be. And we're not there yet. But we're sure not where we used to be. See, faith says, go, and we go. Stop, and we stop. Give me your dearest possession, and we give it to the Lord. This is the life of faith. So I'm not moved by what I don't see, and neither was Abraham. So the call comes to him and he immediately obeyed and he trusted the integrity of the character of the one who called him. 
And he moved in faith, not knowing how it was all going to work out, but just believing we are coming back. We're coming back. Me and the boy, we'll see you in just a few hours. We're coming back. Well, it turned out that Abraham was partly right about how it would all come down. He was right about God being able to raise the dead. We know that from an empty tomb in Jerusalem. That part was 100% correct. He had latched on to something that no one in his day had latched on to. God can raise the dead. But he was wrong about Isaac dying that day. He didn't literally die because the very second he had the knife up here, Isaac is on the altar. He's about to bring it down and an angel appeared and said, stop, don't kill the boy. And right about then he looked and he saw a ram placed in the thicket just beyond him, caught in a bush, and he offered the ram in the place of his son. And right there, God revealed himself as Jehovah Jireh, the God who sees and provides. Thus, the Bible says that he figuratively received Isaac back from the dead. So we've got Abraham's obedience and Abraham's trust and Abraham's faith. But I got to close with this. We cannot read this story without seeing in full technicolor the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaac was made to carry that wood up that mountain. Jesus was made to carry that cross up Calvary's hill. Abraham was asked to give his only begotten son God gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But here's the difference. When Jesus was hung on that tree, God did not appear and say, don't kill him. But they followed through with it. There was no ram caught in a thicket over yonder for Jesus to have as a replacement. Jesus died for you and for me. He stretched forth his arms and his legs and they crucified him on that tree. And God so loved the world that he also gave his only begotten son. There's no doubt in my mind, he walked Abraham through this as a foreshadowing and a type and a shadow of what was to come with Jesus Christ. And do you know that Mount Moriah, where he offered Isaac, where he took him, is the very area where Jesus himself was crucified 2,000 years later? God was taking us through a little show and tell before the real event. But the real drama happened when Jesus Christ was crucified for you and for me. And because he was crucified, God did raise him from the dead. What Abraham believed for, amen. What Abraham knew God could do, God did with his only begotten son. In Genesis 22, we see what a man would do for the love of God. But at Calvary, we see what God would do for the love of men. And he did it for you and for me. You know what I know? He's gonna come back one day. And we're all gonna answer one way or the other to the Lord Jesus. Can we stand together today? And I felt directed to the Lord to just have you bow with me for a moment and I want to pray with you. 
Can you say with me, he obeyed God. He trusted God. And he had faith in God. Can I encourage you today? Obey the Lord. Is there an area in your life, dear saint, where God's been speaking to you and saying in the quiet of your heart, nobody knows, but you and him. Has he been saying to you, I want you to this, I want you to that. I want you to make things right with this person. I want you to take this step or that step. You you know what it is, but it's in the quiet of your heart and you're either going to honor God in it or you're not. Or what about trust? Are you having trouble trusting God? Maybe with the dearest thing in your life. And there is a contest between your earthly affection and God. Can I encourage you? Obey God. And is he telling you by faith to step out? You know, sometimes all we need and are required to do is take the next step. And it releases the power of God because that step was a step of faith. If you're in one of those three, would you raise your hand right where you are? If you're dealing with one of those three, obedience, trust, faith, Put them high. I'm not calling anybody down here. I'm going to pray with you right where you are. But just put your hand up. Bless you, many of you. I want you to pray this with me. The rest of you are sure welcome. Say, Lord, I, I come to you. I'm your child. Help me to obey God. And do it quickly. Help me to trust your character. intimately and help me to take that step that will release God on my situation in Jesus name now can we lift our hands to him let's just sing seek ye first the